This week on the OneCast, we're joined by Missile Bates owner, two-time Bassmaster Elite Series champion, current Elite Series angler, John Cruz. That's a good one. That's a good one. Oh, God, it's a toad, son. It's a fucking toad, dude. Let's go. I wake up to a little bit of drool on my pillow, feel like it's going to be a bad day. What's going on, guys? Pete with the OneCast here. So excited to announce our newest podcast partner, Carolina Waters. Carolina Waters is a performance fishing and outdoor lifestyle apparel company that's based right here in North Carolina. They provide clothing like lightweight UPF shirts for those days out on the water or in the field for your hardcore fisherman or athlete. They also have casual t-shirts for those more relaxing days. Tons of different styles of headwear for the whole family. No matter what it is you're doing, if you're doing it outdoors in the Carolinas or anywhere across the country, Carolina Waters has you covered. Be sure to head over to their website, check out the apparel, find what fits your needs at carolinawatersnc.com. For the month of September, use the code THEONECAST, all one word, to save 20% off your order at carolinawatersnc.com. Again, that's carolinawatersnc.com. Use the code the one cast one cast at checkout to save twenty percent. Appreciate y'all. Make sure you check them out. Use that code to let you know that we sent you. Help us continue to grow a culture of anglers helping anglers one cast at a time. What's going on, one cast fans? Welcome back to the one cast for another episode, week, whatever we call them. We call them. Uh, we're getting closer and closer to fifty-two, which would be a year's worth, uh, which is pretty cool to to think that we've been doing that uh, for almost a year now. Um, so we're coming up on that. Uh, as always, make sure you head over to onecastfishing.com. Use the code the onecast at checkout to save 10%. Uh, get some snagless jigs, long neck hooks, weedless neds, all of that good stuff. Uh, guys, what's going on? Not much, man. Uh, water's low everywhere, so uh, it's making fishing a little bit difficult. But uh, we're getting ready to head down to Lake Lanier. So by the time everyone's hearing this, we'll already be back from that. Um, and hunting season's full swing, and I haven't made it to the woods yet. So I'm looking forward to that. What you got going, man? Anything good? Uh, not much. The water is getting low. Need to be out there definitely right now. It's a great time. Um, or it should be a great time. They, there's less places for those fish to hide, at least. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it's that time of year. And then, unfortunately, I haven't been to Deer Woods yet either. I actually haven't been on the water, but hopefully we can change that here in the next week or two. Yeah. Yeah. So we're excited. Y'all heard uh, us with Joey last week, and uh, he'll be coming back on. We got something special planned with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this week, we have John Cruz on with us. Uh, we're going to talk to him about some stuff, so uh, let me go ahead and uh, bring on John Cruz, or uh, as you can see, old Johnny Missile this week uh, <laughs> to the one guest. What's going on, John? What's up, guys? Good to see y'all. Yeah, good to see you, too. I think the last time we saw you was where? At the Classic? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think that's right. Man, that seems like forever ago. I know, man. <laughs> I, I, I do like it. And for those who are watching on the uh, the video version, John's got Johnny Missile down there for his name, which is what uh, Pete just mentioned. But I would actually love to see that on a massive boat wrap, just Johnny Missile just Johnny on the Missile. side and just flying down the lake. <laughs> you know, I, I got to pull up something real quick. Let me let me scroll through this real quick before we get kicked off into this. Uh it was funny, man. I, I took a screenshot of one of your uh, your Facebook posts, 
And I loved how you said... Oh, the poop uh, baits. Yeah. You were like, I thought it was a typo at first. And you're like, here are my top three ways to fish poop baits. <laughs> and I was like, does he mean prop baits? And then I started looking at it and I was like, oh, that makes sense. So what, you just come up with those names randomly, huh? No, that's just, that's what the, uh, the, the whole... Uh, category of those kind of those style baits is they're called you know the cover scat is really yep. the one that got popular in the u.s first you know there were some other ones in japan that got popular then they just then depths did the cover scat and that thing kind of caught on and then it caught on over here in the u.s uh and then you know now there's now there's probably six or seven companies mm-hmm. that have that style of bait and so when the first bait that kind of popularizes the technique is called a scat then all of them are called you know poop baits or whatever you want to however you want to call it so that the whole that whole category is called poop baits I, I i gotta tell you i love the way that we make names for a lot of the baits that we have like the the ned rig that any of the, anybody or most people call it like a turd you know so it just, it's fitting to, yeah. to see uh, you know, poop bait categories and whatever the case may be. And Berkeley's uh, new chatterbait thing too. What is that one? The slobber knocker. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. I it, when we were at the when we were at iCast uh, and they were launching some of the new series, it's really it's really funny to hear some of the names. So, um, but we can dive that's into that a little bit later. Yeah, that's a big fu- part of a fun part of the the bait game is is naming the baits and naming the colors. Just a it, it's it's fun. Yeah. So yeah, man. Um. We, again, we want to take uh, we want to take this time to thank you. Um, we were supposed to shoot the show uh, about a week or so ago, and and we ran into issues. So appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Um, and let's yeah, dive l- let's dive right into it, man. So uh, we, we were talking a little bit before the show, um, and uh, we were we were talking about you know generational differences and stuff like that. But uh, once you once you hit us with uh, some of your thoughts in the in the bass fishing world uh, from from when you started to to twenty twenty three. I guess 2024 coming up. Yeah, I know it's hard to believe 2024 is coming up uh, next year. So, uh, you know, really, I, when I got started into the into this game, it was, um, you know, I graduated college in 2000 and and just and started fishing full time right right after that. And I did everything I could basically to sa- to save money. And uh, you know, I had saved up all during school to make sure that I had some money to go out there, um, and, and make a go of it. And, you know, the first, first, I think it was the first three full years that I fished. I did, I didn't have a single paying sponsor. Uh, and so basically I was, the way I looked at it is if I fished hard enough and I kept my expenses down, I could win my, win my income and be able to kind of survive until I could, you know, kind of get in, get in there and get established in, in the, in the sport. And so it took me four years before I had a, a paying sponsor. And that pay, first paying sponsor was uh, Triple Fish Fishing Line. Uh, Dave Burkhart down in Florida took, took a chance on me and paid me $100 a month. It was a, um, it was a massive sum of money, um, but it was really more of the, the fact that I actually had a piece of paper where somebody wrote my name and wrote me a, a monthly a paycheck. Uh, with, so it, that meant a lot to me, and that's kind of where it started. Uh, for you know, three years into it, the fourth year it kind of ramped up, and then the fifth year it really ramped up as far as uh, becoming established and started to make classics and do well, top tens, all that kind of stuff. So it really took five to six years before it was a you know, the the pro pro angler thing was a sustainable 
model. And, and, you know, kind of fast forward now, you know, guys in order to qualify for the elite series, not, we're not even, not even talking about the elite series yet, just talking about the nine uh, Bassmaster opens that you've got to fish and do well in just to make it to the Bassmaster elite series is uh, it, it's a grind. It's not, it's not cheap. The payouts are not phenomenal. Um, they're okay. They're not phenomenal, but there's a lot of traveling, uh, a lot of expenses, and it's just a, it's a tough road to, uh, to, to go that way. Uh, but it seems like, you know, we were talking about generational stuff before the show. Um, there's guys that are willing to do the work to get in there. Uh, and those are the ones that I'm seeing, you know, like qualify for the elites and be successful. You know, your JT Tompkins, your, I mean, he dominated the, the opens EQs this year and he, he pre-fished every tournament. Like he, he spent, he put like, you know, I think he said like 600 hours on his engine in the last year wow. because wow. he was going from tournament to tournament or, to, you know, lake to lake to lake, river to river, to river pre-fishing before those tournaments. So he knew everything he could, he could figure out for those places, uh, you know, Kyle Patrick, um, even, even the Ben Millikens, man, he did his homework, uh, and, and really was, was grinding in order for that one end goal. But in order to, to sustain in this industry as a pro angler, you've got a, you've got to hustle on, on kind of every aspect of, of what you have the ability to, to hustle. It's not just making a couple of social media posts anymore. Uh, you, that, you know, like that's just a given you have to do that. Uh, but there's a lot of other things that you can do to grind and make that uh, make that difference and put your put your name above other people's in the minds of the people that are that are looking to uh, the sponsor anglers. That's just kind of kind of what we we're uh, we we're talking about beforehand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely an underlying theme. So, you know, we've had we've had several elite, current elite series, former elite series. You know, Destin Demarion's been on. We had Maddie Wong, uh, Joey C. Fuentes, yourself. Um Everybody we've had on, Harvey, it's the same underlying theme. It, everybody thinks, and I thought it for a long time, uh, you know, before I got into f- the fishing industry and around shows and, and met people and things, that once you got to that level, you were just fishing. But there's so much more than just going out and fishing. The grind isn't just three days of practice and, and maybe three or four days of a tournament. It's pre-pre-practice, practice, events, shows, uh a big thing now is filming with sponsors. I know, I don't know. I know missile does some stuff, but going out with your sponsors on, on days to film content for them so that they can put together yeah. stuff to put out. Uh, so th- it's, it's a job inside of a job inside of a job. And then for you, um, if you want to, you know, we kind of heard you came out of college, you went, went into it, but you started missile while you were in college, correct? No, I started, I started missile, uh, 10 years after I was uh, a pro angler or a full-time okay. angler, I should say. So it was, um, and when I started as a pro angler, I always said from before I even started that the pro angler thing was going to open a door for me to do something else business-wise. I didn't know exactly what it was going to be, but I knew that I was going to op- it was going to open the door for me to do something else other than just the fishing aspect of it. Uh, I love that, you know, the fishing part of it is what we love, like the competition. I love that. I, I love doing that. But from a business perspective, a pro angler is only as valuable as their as their name is at that point in time. 
Uh, if you stop fishing tournaments, it doesn't take long before, I mean, like, as, you know, as a, as a sponsor, why would you sponsor somebody that's not relevant anymore? Uh, so there's a, there's a shelf life and it's, it's only as long as, as that sustains. So if you can create an entity like a business that, that goes, it doesn't matter whether you're there or not. If the business entity is set up properly, it's going to create its own value to whether you're fishing tournaments or not. And, and I didn't know exactly what that business entity was going to be And early on, you know, like come right, at, right fresh out of college, the easiest things accessible to see and kind of relate to were, were TV shows. You know, you got your, your Hank Parker and your you know, Bill Dance and your Jimmy Houston and those guys. And even Jimmy Houston utilized his name for on, on boat dealerships. Now, he had a partial ownership in, in those boat dealerships, but the, you know, Jimmy Houston Marine, they're all over Oklahoma and sold a ton of boats. So he, he utilized his name and in order to to create a business entity kind of a business empire that that he's able to that's it's able to sustain you know even beyond his his tv show and so i did it it didn't take maybe a couple of years after after college and fishing full-time to realize i didn't want to do the tv show it just didn't <laughs> it didn't fit where i thought i would be best utilized and and so i you know i started working with spro I guess it was uh, 16 years ago now, and the sp- I started designing uh, crankbaits. And I started designing baits. I would design them, test them, uh, prototype them, you know, ch- tweak them, get them just right. Then we would, you know, take them to market. I would help promote and uh, and I helped sell, uh, not necessarily like to dealers, but I would just help promote and talk about the baits and try to get the word out there. And then we'd do it again. Then we'd design another bait. And I loved that process. And I was doing that with hard baits with, with Spro and I wanted to do that with soft baits. And, and I did at the time I didn't have a soft bait sponsor. I started looking around. I had a couple of companies that wanted to partner with me and do that. But I just, I really felt like that maybe this was my business entity that I wanted to start. And I had, uh, I had a business plan. I put that together. I had two other, actually I had two other pro anglers that were going to go into, uh, like we're going to be a partnership in this, uh, in this business. And then one of them had a ridiculous offer to go do something else. So then it was down to the two of us. And then the other angler started getting cold feet and I could just sense it. And I said, look, look, I'm going to just, I think I can do it by myself, you know, financially, I'm going to try, but I want you to be a part of it. And they were like, okay, that's cool. Cause it kind of gave them an out to to get out of it. Uh, So I, so I started it. Uh, on my own, I'm really glad that I did because it just makes decisions way easier when you're the uh, when you're the head honcho and nobody you don't have to report to anybody yeah. else. Mm-hmm. So uh, so yeah, I started started missile and and, and for right from the gate I uh, started in 2012 January 2012 is when we we okay. uh, came into business. Uh, but I was working on things you know for over a year before that as far as business plans and you know connections and sources and uh, pricing and logos you, you name it and designs all that kind of stuff took took you know a full year to to kind of have everything ready uh, but that was that was kind of what i wanted to start and i wanted to start an, an entity right out of the gate that could function whether i was present or not so i didn't want to i didn't want to start it like in my garage and then you know if i was out of town i couldn't ship the baits so then like my wife would have to ship the bait i just didn't want i wanted to create an entity that had its own uh, identity right out of the gate. And 
we started with full two full-time employees and we had a uh, 2,400 square foot office and, and warehouse to, to start with. Uh, so that's, that's kind of where we, uh, where we began right out of the gate. And of course that it costs more money, but it also was like an instant uh, entity um, right out of the, right out of the box. So <clears throat> we talked about that, that generational uh, difference at the beginning. Do you, based on your, you know, you are a huge steward of the profession. When I look at somebody that's like a steward of a profession, somebody that acts within the, you know, the ethics and morals and everything like that, that's somebody that, that, you know, people value. Um, and not everyone's cut from the same cloth, of course, but like when it comes to the newer anglers, uh, do you think that the, the industry does a good job at, at selling that, uh, business mindset or is it more like, you know, the motto of, of bass, what is it? Uh, big bass, big stage, big dreams type deal. Um, are they more geared towards, you know, I can make a living just tournament fishing. Uh, I think the majority of, of bass anglers, uh, which on whichever trail you look at, but the majority of professional bass anglers, um, just don't, don't look at the whole, the whole scene the same way I do. I mean, I just, I know the majority of them and they just don't, uh, but there's a number, there's a handful, there's, I don't know, a quarter of them or so that probably look at it the same way I do. And I, the way I look at it is that whichever tournament trail that I'm fishing, whether it's Bassmaster, uh, FLW, uh, MLF, whatever, it that is your platform to promote your, that is your platform for your business. That's all that is. That is not, they are not the sole support for you to make your, your living off of. I don't look at, I don't look at it that way. I just, I just don't. I think that that, that plat, the, the media platform on the tournament trails, I love, I love the tournaments. I love the competition. I want the payouts to be 10 X of what they are now, but we're not, they, you know, the, the business model for the fishing industry in the, in the sport of professional bass fishing is not there yet to have a 10 X payouts from what they are. I think, I think where they are now, at least in Bassmaster is a sustainable model. We can we can go, we can keep it there and kind of hopefully grow it from from now until you want to stop fishing. It's not an unsustainable model. Bassmaster makes money every year. That's that's good. Um, so now I look at Bassmaster as just a media platform to promote my name, my sponsors' names, and in my my company's name, the missile the missile baits. Like that's that's the platform uh, that I've used to to make a name for myself in the in the fishing world is through the Bassmaster Elite series and that's just I think a little bit different mentality than what what a lot of uh, other pro anglers like I said there's probably a quarter of the, all the pro anglers look at it the same way as I do I know like the you know the swindles and um Iconelli Ishman Road like those guys I, I know very well they they have that same mindset it, it's what it's not about what can Bassmaster do for me it's like how can I utilize Bassmaster to help you know, grow my name and, and, and make my, um, make my living the way I need to make it through sponsors, through any, any other kind of business dealings. And then, you know, like the, the tournament winnings are really just kind of, uh, added, added income. If you, uh, if you're able to catch them. Yeah. I think, I think me- meeting different anglers when you talk to them, like you hit the nail on the head. Some some of the guys get it and they understand they're salesmen and their their platform is bass the elites. That's where they're able to sell either themselves, their sponsors, all of that stuff. And and um, you know, 
it's it's interesting because you it does seem to be some of the younger guys you kind of you you get to talk to them and they don't have that same mentality it's sort of like fish 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 it's, fish fish it's not yeah not all the not all the younger guys there are definitely some younger guys that look at it the same way i do i mentioned uh cal patrick earlier he just made qualified for the elites he looks at it exactly the same way i yeah. do he does not it's not it's not the other way around he's he's out there ready to hustle based on um you know all right now i've qualified for the biggest platform now how am i gonna how am i gonna hustle around and and help out my sponsor so they can in turn help me out and and we can make this thing work i mean he knows that the better he catches them the better it all works and it, like he he's got the right mindset i think some of the some of the younger anglers i just don't know uh some of the other new guys just quite as well but there there's definitely a number of them that look at it look at it that way and it's uh dude it's a it's a grind it is not if you if you want to become a professional angler it, it's not what you want to do if you if you get out there on uh you know lake norman or any of any of the lakes like uh grand lake wherever you see those giant mansions on the hill i promise you those are not professional bass anglers. <laughs> uh, those are somebody else they've made their money another way so if you want to if you want to have one of them $10 million mansions, bat, your professional bass angler ain't the way to do it, man. If, but if you enjoy 14 hour days on the water and then the next day, uh, six hours of sleep, maybe. And then the next day you get up and you do it again, uh, because you love it, then, then professional bass angler might be for you. You know, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking it actually surprises me that maybe it's such a small percentage that, you know, think like you do, John, um, Especially what I look at over the last decade, decade, decade and a half, ever since the 08 crisis. Because when you started fishing, that was still the heyday, I would imagine, in bass fishing, right? Was that still the Sitco deal, early 2000s? Yep. Yeah, there's um, still, still yep. a lot of those non pandemics. Right. <laughs> all right. You, you had the explosion in the 90s, and it was, you know, there were, you had all the money in the sport, right? I think $300,000 prizes, right, for just a normal tournament. I think that was what the FLW was at the time. Yeah. Um, so I guess the point is like you had all that and you, you saw the crash, you know, the economics, but the money's not returned back to even our industry. And, and you've seen and on top of that, with the way companies can spread their money around to other social media influencers, um, I'm surprised more people don't have to grind because they have to grind in a sense, because it's just not as maybe economically feasible as it was 20, 30 years ago to be a professional angler, to do it in the traditional sense, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I see uh, that. In the, oh, go ahead, John. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the the cost to play the game is probably higher now oh, yeah. uh, than it was to, to get in. So, like, your uh, cost, your startup cost is higher now than it was 20 years ago. But you you have the potential to make it back. Uh, but what that does is when you have that, that higher startup cost is it makes it to where it's, if you have one bad, bad year, you might be done financially. You might be out. Um, and that was one of the reasons Bassmaster went to that nine tournament schedule for the opens is to really kind of weed out the ones that didn't have their, Shit together you know what i'm saying like they didn't ha if you didn't have your stuff together and you just like scrap together three tournaments then you got thrown out there to this really high cost uh i mean fishing against the damn bass fishing bullies of the world that'll take your lunch money in the elite series 
like guys were coming out and they, you know, we'd have a rookie class of 10 people. Then two, two of them wouldn't even be able to finish the season financially. Like they would, they'd fish the first four events, never make a single check. They'd be upside down and, and run out of money and not, not be able to, not be able to sustain and keep going. So, um, Th- that is not does not happen as often and i think by bassmaster moving to that nine tournament thing yeah guys are like man it, i can't even qualify it's like well if you can't fish the nine tournaments to qualify then how are you going to fish the nine tournaments in the elite series you know it's like you, like you're going to take a chance at three and then i guess quit your job and but to me that's a terrible decision yep. if you're if that's your I mean, you need to be fully in if you're going to be a pro at it from the beginning. And that's that's kind of the way I did it at the beginning. There's a number of other guys that did it that way. They, I mean, we were full-time from the from the word go uh, from even trying to qualify to get to that top level. So that's, uh, you know, you can't it, – it, it doesn't go the other way around. You know, it's not like there's no easy way to get to the uh, PGA Tour. Like, you can't just – play in one tournament and then become like oh now you're on the pga tour congratulations mm-hmm. now you have to like it's a it's a rigorous mm-hmm. process to qualify to get up there and, and, and the elite series is the same way and, it, and, it, and that's the way it should be because now i mean i look at those nine guys i i, I don't think from what i understand i don't think any of those nine guys are going to have to bail after four or five tournaments because mm-hmm. they run out of money which is what we were running to into you know six and eight years ago no yeah. I, oh go ahead i was gonna say it like I, th- I think we're I'm in agreement with you on the nine tournaments. Like a lot of people were like, "Well, you took the working man out of it." Well, the problem was the working man that everybody was thinking of are those guys that couldn't afford to do nine tournaments on the Elite Series, uh, or right. didn't have the time to do those nine tournaments on the Elite Series. Really, I think Bass did them a disservice going that route uh, because they they built this up that oh, you're at the top of the top, but never prepared them for what that really was. Now you have to fish the nine EQs. You get a better understanding of the travel schedule, the financial constraints, uh, the competition, right. all of that. Now, before you even make it there, you you understand more what goes into it. And thinking back, like to my childhood, right, like watching the watching the tournaments, watching the Bassmaster Classic, like my dream when I went out there and was was walking around the pond as a kid catching bass. I never won the you know st lawrence river event i won the bassmaster classic every time right <laughs> yeah. so i think the real working right. man's dream is to fish the classic and they didn't take that away they like didn't. you can still qualify fishing those three yep. tournaments to fish that one to get you on the biggest stage uh, for the biggest event in bass fishing so i think i think people had misplaced what the real dream was if you think and the, it literally just clicked while you were talking john i was thinking back to like my childhood and it wasn't to fish professionally. It was to fish that dang Bassmaster Classic. Like, that's what we wanted to do. Right. I mean, that's that's always the goal. But going back to the EQs, I was thinking this, it actually, it prepares those guys even better because, if you know, like, like you mentioned, John, the payouts, I mean, they're not as good as on, on the Elite Series. You don't have the visibility, so you probably don't have the sponsor dollars, right? And, and we all know, because no. we've heard it over and over again, just because you make the Elites, doesn't mean sponsors are calling, but you do have more visibility and you probably have more leverage in those negotiations. So if you could make it on the nine with less payouts, less sponsor dollars, and these guys should be set up to do fairly well, hopefully, uh, you know, in the next few years. I, I just look at the, the all nine is a really good business decision by Bass as well. They're not only keeping the Bassmaster Classic in, as an opportunity for the regional qualifiers, but 
It also, you, you got to look like, you know, two to five fiscal years out from a business perspective and say, if these guys are going to fish all nine, I know that they're going to be locked in, right? There's guaranteed money going towards bass and then coming back to the anglers. So from a return on investment standpoint, it's a really good move for bass and it sets the conditions because the last thing that they want is to see somebody file for bankruptcy, you know, lose their house, lose their family, stuff like that. So at the end of the day, it's, it is about business, you know, and, and they, and they made a smart move. I know there's a lot of people that are opposed to that, but you know, you wouldn't want someone taking that. You, you wouldn't want to dump all your money into something that you're going to lose. That's a bad business decision. Yeah, I mean, it's still, though, you got to chase your, you know, some guys you're willing to do whatever to chase their dream. I know a guy uh, 20 years ago that was a, uh, you know, made a decent name for himself in the industry and and on the on tour. And he started to have some bad years, started to run out of money, actually reverse mortgaged his house so he could fish for a couple more years, fished for a couple more years, had and ended up losing his house. Mm and and had to quit and then just but and then just started over went and got a regular job and you know got got a new house all that kind of you know had to had to reset but um from what i understand he has he's like i do have zero regrets i'd put my house up again to be able to have another shot at it like that was those were the best years of my life you know traveling around the country and fishing the the top level bass tournaments so you know, a lot of guys are are willing to do whatever because that's their dream. And, and I, you know, I'm in that category, but luckily it worked out for me and I've been able to sustain for, uh, for over 20 years doing it. So we hear that a lot, like the dream. Um, but I think, you know, everyone has their own definition of a dream. Uh, you know, some are to be, make it to the classic, some's to win the classic, whatever the case may be, some's to provide, you know, a, a, stable platform for their family to thrive and their kids to move off and, and do things, you know, have it better than we had it. Um, but so going into this, like, what was your dream and have your dreams changed? Um, I mean, I, I feel like that I've wanted to definitely win more tournaments and, um, be more consistent at making the classic. Um, I wanted to at least have a couple conversations uh about angler of the year that's that is such a tough award to to win it is just i mean it's just a monster uh i thought it was years ago i thought it was just like my style just was not that was not attainable there's no way i could finish that high and then as i as i started fishing and getting to know the other anglers i felt like my my style of fishing and the way i fished was very comparable to like a brent chapman and then all of a sudden, Brent Chapman had this fantastic year, and he won Angler of the Year. And I was like, "Holy! Like it, I don't know, it hit me like a brick." I was like, "Holy crap! I can win Angler if Brent can win it. I can win it. Not that like I'm a better angler, but I feel like I was a comparable angler to Brent. And I mean, I just saw Brent um, a couple weeks ago, and we we talked for a long time. We didn't necessarily talk about that. We talked about all kind of stuff. I, I like Brent and his wife quite a bit there. But my point was that they're. I felt like I'm a I'm on the same level with him, and there you know there's guys like Van Dam and and Iconelli. Like th- those guys are they're in a they're a special breed, man. They they just they never falter. Uh, you know, I felt like that back then. There's just there's no way I could compete with those guys at the end of the Aaron Martins. You know, those kind of guys. Like they're just they're freaks as far as angling skill goes, and I have to work really really hard just to even get right where I am. 
And, um, you know, that's why I joke with some people. I'm like, man, I'm just, a, I'm just, you know, and they're like, oh, you did really well, this, that. I'm like, dude, I'm just a try hard guy that <laughs> sometimes it, sometimes it all works out, you know, just, just keep trying hard. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought that, you know, that would be, you know, a, almost an unattainable goal. Now I think it's, it is possible if I could string together, you know, nine good tournaments. It's, it's very, very possible. The last couple of years, I seem like I've been stuck in mediocrity and uh, it's been, it's been kind of frustrating, but um, was able to, to, you know, still crack and have a few good tournaments here and there. So I just need to be able to try to get, get on a roll, so to speak, get some momentum and be able to string, string them all together for a, for a whole season. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting. We we were talking earlier about the guys that did make it and, and, uh, you know, this year that qualified and, and you bring up a guy like Ike and Ellie or Kevin Van Dam. Um, we, if you look at other sports and you think about superstars or people that are, they just have it. Like it's almost like a generational talent. Right? It, there's like, levels. There's just yep. something there different. Levels. You, everybody at that level in the elite, all hundred and whatever it's going to be this year, hundred and three, whatever, are the hundred and three best in the world, right? Everybody can catch them. But then you have in that you have those generational talents. So you said it's like they never falter. It's like yep. you expect them. Well, they didn't do it. They're not going to have a great tournament. They struggled and then they come in and they're they're still right there. It's just it. And there's guys like you, and I know myself, I have to work twice as hard as everybody I fish against just to be successful. I just, it, it's just interesting. Um, but I mean, you can do it. You won, I mean, you won one two years ago, where last year, 2022, yep. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But I think it probably at that level, especially, it's even harder to string together nine good tournaments. Cause like you said, those are the bass fishing bullies, man. They're, they're all there to take everybody's lunch money. And uh, that's right. Yeah. I've, I joked with people before. You know, the difference in the elite series and, and then, you know, basically any other tournament trails that you go out there and, you know, you have an okay practice and you're like, okay, I, you know, I should be able to have, you know, 13, 14, 15 pounds a day. I think that's going to do pretty good. You know, I've seen one four pounder in three days of practice. Um, you know, I should, I should do okay. And you go out there, things are a little bit different, you know, so you start out with a couple two pounders and then during the day, you end up catching a three and a half and then another three. And then next thing you know, you have, you know, like 14 and a half pounds because you, the, the fish had changed. You figured them out. You're like, sweet. I did. I, the fish changed. It was kind of tough. I still caught 14 and a half pounds. That's really about the best I've seen in practice. I should be okay. You put them on the scales, 61st place. And you're like, what in the world? <laughs> like, it's 16 one is the cut. Like, how, how did I? How, where, where did that, and like, you see all these guys that are in the top 15, you're like, I saw him over there and I saw him over there and he fished that one bank I fished. And then this way you're like, Holy crap, man. You just, it, it's a whole nother level of, of competition at that elite series level. And I, I can't, and it's because the field top to bottom is, it is, it's the best of the best. And, and it's been like that for almost, you know, almost 20 years now. Yeah. I, I don't remember who said it. Um, but I remember hearing this is one, one of the anglers on the elites, like you guys or somebody on the tour, they're going to catch what live in the lives in the lake. Mm-hmm. So if there's potential for 25 pound bags in that lake. Someone's going to probably come out with a 25 pound bag. Yeah. Like the, it's, yep. it's phenomenal. And what's, what, what always gets me, especially like compared to like some, like maybe the FLW door tour days, but like after day one, it always seems like day two. You need to double the cut line and maybe add a pound or two to be safe to to make day three. It's just like the, they just you guys figure them out 
and you get better mm-hmm. and better throughout the tournament and just it's got to be difficult to, you got to bring your a game every single time it's 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 hard to well, that, 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 that leads me to a question, John, about, um, you know, being in, in the field with 103 or 104 of the best anglers in the world. Um, and it, and it goes with the saying, like, if you're the smartest or best person in the room, you're in the wrong room, you know, and you're surrounded by, uh, <laughs> yeah. 104, 103 others that are just as good, sometimes better than you. Where do you see some of the, ang- do you see sometimes a lot? anglers hang their head really low and and just like you know what like this isn't for me like where does that where does that happen at um in your experience is that with the newer guys or is that with like the guys that have been around a long time the ones that are just like maybe i'm not maybe i don't belong in this room anymore uh you talking about just as far as the mental game goes yeah the mental game um so the mental game is is a big is a big deal at the elite level and not as many not as many people uh, talk about it. And I, I'll tell you that I feel like Kevin Van Dam was probably the best m- mentally that I've ever fished around and uh, been in, in conjunction with. He, uh, I observed it and I'd like, I'd go talk to him about it and I, and I would laugh about it. I'm like, dude, it's just, <laughs> it, it really was very Tiger Woods-esque in the way that he, uh, would play mental games with a lot of his competition. In my opinion, there were there were a number of tournaments. He was not on the best fish, and he was not the best fisherman in the contention to win that that tournament. But he ended up winning that tournament because he, in for lack of a better term, would play mind games with uh, with some of the some of his competition. <laughs> and honestly, one of the one of the ones that he would pick on the most is Aaron Martin's. Uh, Aaron Martin's, in my opinion, is probably the best angler to ever pick bass bass angler to ever pick up a rod and reel, but his mental game uh, was not as high as you know a Van Dam or a or a Clun. Like Van Dam could not penetrate Clun. He couldn't he couldn't affect him. Clun is just like a a stone uh, mentally. Like dude, you're not you're not you're not getting that guy. But his angling Clun's angling skill is not near what Van Dam's is. So, uh, it, it, he couldn't, he couldn't, you know, but th- their careers overlapped, uh, as far as when, when they were both peaking, they definitely overlapped. And so they had their battles, but as far as I think Van Dam, I mean, I think that, uh, Martin's is probably the best one to ever, uh, pick up a rod and reel, but that same, in my opinion, that same insecurity about what was going on with other anglers was almost, one of his strong suits as well, because he would always tinker and change and tinker and change and tinker quickly until he figured out really what they wanted in, in 20 minutes versus it'd take me two days to figure the same thing out. Yeah. Uh, he would just make really, really rapid, quick adjustments partially due to his insecurity, but uh, guys like Van Dam would play onto that. <laughs> and I mean, I, I observed it, you know, and then like Van Dam would say something and he'd turn and he'd look at me and then he'd wink. Uh, <laughs> like he just knew what he was doing, man. It, it was really funny to watch. Um, you know, I feel like, uh, Ike and Ellie had a different way to do it. He would, um, he would just be so full throttle and so like hardcore and screaming and in your face, like he intimidated a lot of other anglers on the water and n- not necessarily like intentionally, 
Uh, but just his style and his like people were like, God, I don't want to I don't want to get in his way. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, back in the day, Tommy Biffle was notorious for getting in people's face. You know, yeah, I ain't seen you in here yesterday. Where are you at? <laughs> like he would just I mean, a lot of people are like, man, I don't want to have to put up with that. So yeah. they just wouldn't even fish around him. Not, I mean, Tommy may have been totally in the wrong, but they're like, I just don't want to listen to that. So they didn't want to fish around him. <laughs> uh, so that there was definitely some of that that mind game stuff that, that goes on. I, I feel like that over the last 20 years is definitely a little, a little bit more cordial uh, on the water. But, th- you know, we're we're all mountain goats, man. We'll butt heads every once in a while. Yeah. So it's still it still happens uh, with that kind of stuff, but not not near to the extent, you know, like I was explaining to somebody uh, not too long ago, like, you know, a lot of marshals will, will be surprised at how casual we are in competition in the elite series. You know, I might pull up to a point and uh, Bill Owen or Matt Heron's there. And, and I'm like, Hey Matt, uh, I'd like to fish this point right here, but I want to fish that left side of here where that little rocky spot is. Are, are you fishing that by chance? And if he's not fishing it, he'll say, no, no, man, I'm not fishing that. I'm fishing this right side over here. It's got these three or four big stumps on it. There's some big ones on it. Oh, okay, cool. I'm going to just hit that little rocky spot over there. And, uh, it, you know, I'm gonna leave, I'll leave your stumps alone. Okay, cool. And we'll fish almost side by side, Ever, you know, make our cast. And then yeah, I'll go about my way or he'll go about his way, whatever whatever it might be. And, and marshals are like, man, I, I've never seen that before. You know, because you don't – that stuff doesn't happen in – in as many you know local tournaments no. because like we don't have ownership on those spots and that's that's the biggest difference a lot of times on you know we're fishing like norfolk somewhere like that and me and we're sharing this point that we both found in practice we i've never caught fish on it other than like two days in practice or something it's not like i own that point whereas if you're fishing your home lake then you got that one point where nobody else you've never seen anybody else fishing it or you've seen like two other guys but this ain't them other two guys uh you get a little more defensive and it, it, things get a little crossed up that way um but but also like i've known matt for 20 years and i've known a bill lowen for 20 years i've watched his kids grow up from being babies and now they're like you know young adults and it's just it's cool to you know you get that kind of camaraderie and you're, you have that fraternity you know i don't wish him any ill will I just want to do better than he does in the tournament, and I want to do it the right way. And that's how the majority of the the guys out there on the elites are. It's pretty, it's pretty cool, really. It's really unique for for anybody that's competitive and played sports, because it's everybody's essentially playing on the same team, right? Your team, BS, your team Bassmaster. Like everybody's playing on the same team, but you're all playing against each other <laughs> and yourselves. So you do, like you said, you have that fraternity when you make it there you're all kind of on the same team and you have those bonding, you go to events and obviously there's people that don't like each other and you, you get that drama yeah. too, but it, it's just, it's a whole different dynamic when you think about that way. We're like, for us again, back to the local stuff, like I'm thinking like, you know, we, yeah, we don't get that. But like when we go to a tournament and you see Jim pull up and you're like, Jim's here. And it's like, <laughs> this is Jim's lake. He's going to have 40 pounds. The elites, everybody's Jim. So you're fishing against a hundred gyms and, and you got to try to compete with the, the local hammer at every tournament. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's like, an interesting like local, dynamic. Yeah. The local thing is, is, is kind of uh, interesting because if you fish, you know, local tournaments a fair amount, you can go down the lake and be like, Oh yeah, there's, um, Chad's docks over there. Chad always fishes them docks. You can go down a little further, and there's like it's Bill's. That's Bill's point, man. He always fishes that point. And then you go down a little further, and be like, yeah, that bank over there. 
that's where old uh, Cletus, he fishes that bank all the time. <laughs> so if you're caught on one of them spots, yep. like, dude, what were you doing on Bill's Point? You know, Bill fishes that point all the time. What, what, you know, you going to poach Bill? Like, what the heck? <laughs> Bill should you know, so that's your boat. I, it, to it's be funny, a- like, you know, just fishing down here at Smith Mountain, there's, there's places that are like that, that people know, like, that's old Johnny's. That's old Johnny's point over there. You know, Johnny Missile. He's gonna, he's gonna fish it sometime during the day, maybe two or three times. So, Can you send me all Alex's Alex's stuff on some? So. <laughs> it all becomes Alex's. Yeah. It all becomes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you know, but on the flip side of that, right? It, it's awesome. You guys could pull up next to each other and have those conversations. And for the most time, it's it's cordial. If it's not, we end up seeing on Bassmaster Live because yeah. the right. drama. But I don't know, Trey. You're out on the on the lake all the time and. Because he's almost like the the lake hammer now because he's out there five days a week. On, That's on. not true. I have a job. Everyone <laughs> follows him to his spots. They just they just pull up on him. That's true. I mean, like, it, it, but, you know, we uh, I, I don't have an issue sharing sharing water because I'm not competing at, you know, John's level like there. I think there's the difference between healthy competition and toxic competition. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you, you bring up a good point. Like, um, but if I'm out there fishing a tournament, I'm not going to let you in unless I know you, like we're part of team one cast together or whatever the case may be, right. Or team Bassmaster. But you know, when it comes to let's rewind and go back to the generations, what are you seeing differently? Are you seeing anything differently now with the newer guys coming up? Like, I know that there's a sniff test. There has to be every new, every new guy, every, that, new, guy. every well, new guy. We've talked about it because yeah. Maddie talked about Maddie it. Maddie talked, you know, and he has really good things to say about you. Like, welcome to the fraternity, bro. Like, let's do this, you know. Yeah. But um, what what does that look like for a new guy coming up? Are they going to talk to you and, and share and ask to come in on that that rock pile to the left versus the logs to the right? Or, or how does that work with those guys? So I think the, when when a, a new class of rookies steps onto the elite series, uh, some of them come in with with like like people know who they are, and then some of, some of them people don't know who they are. So they're just going to wait and see how they are. You know, like I, I, when Criollo uh, Fujito qualified, a lot of guys. I mean, he only fished like three four tournaments, so a lot of guys didn't really know who he was. And I think now that we've gone through a season. Everybody knows he he is not going to hold jump you. Like he is not going to like if you're fishing and doing well on some spot, he's not going to go. He's not going to snake in there and and be there the next day. Like that's just not who he is. He goes out there and he finds like weird crap that only he finds. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and so guys kind of get a get a name for themselves after three or four or five tournaments, and, and it's kind of interesting because like if you if the rookie class is standing there, there's about half of the elite series that doesn't know who they are really doesn't know what to say to them. And they just kind of like strut around in front of them, like a rooster until they know who they are. They're like, look, don't you come in here. Don't you come in here acting fool. And then you like <laughs> strut around, don't talk to him, but like strut around in front of them. And they're scared to talk to him. Honestly, this is honest truth. And then, but after like four or five tournaments, guys will show who they are. And once they once they, have kind of like shown who they are then guys are like yeah what's up joey how you doing man good to see you man good good job on that last tournament um we we know you're doing things the right way what's up man like welcome to it it's funny man it'll take guys multiple tournaments before they say they even say anything to these guys like and then the reason i say that is at the first tournament um of the year this year 
at Okeechobee. I pulled up on the bank waiting for my marshal, and I pulled up right next to Joey Sefuentes. And Joey was sitting there in his cowboy hat, get, you know, tying his stuff together, and, you know, and he's five feet from me. And I was like, hey, Joey. And he turns and looks. I'd never talked to Joey Sefuentes in my life. I looked over at Joey. I was like, Joey. And I reached out. I'm like, hey, dude, welcome to the elites. You know, and he, he gave me a fist bump, and he, he kind of, like, looked at me, and he shook his head. And I'm like, what? He goes, you know, you're the first angler to welcome me to the Elite Series. And I was like, well, most of them just, I guess they don't know who you are, Joey. <laughs> he he kind of looked at me funny. I'm like, no, no, they don't know how you're going to be. And he was like, huh. And I was like, well, I said, or maybe they're just dickheads. Who, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <I don't> know. <laughs> and, and he still got a big chuckle out of that. I'm like, man, I'm just kidding. I said, seriously, most of the guys just don't know how you're going to be. I said, you've been doing well for, for a while. And I said, I, I saw you, you know, qualifying. I'm like, oh, he'll, he'll be on the elites before too long. And sure enough, he, he was. And sure enough, he finished in the top 10 in the points because the dude's a straight up hammer. Um, and he's a good dude. Now, and now it's funny to watch. I mean, towards the end of the season, even when like, he won his second tournament, he's won his second elite series after St. Clair. All kind of people were congratulating him because they know who now they know he's a good dude and, he does his own thing and he doesn't jump, you know, he doesn't fish around on top of anybody and does things the right way and all that. So now everybody like gets kind of knows him now and everybody's, everybody's cool. Even though he's, you know, taking our money, everybody's cool. With that. <laughs> so we, we have to, so you lit a fire under Joey. I mean, like you kind of pulled a, I don't, I don't want to say a Van Dam, but you kind of pulled that like, Hey, Nobody knows who you are. You didn't mean it that way, but maybe he was like, "Oh, I'm going to show you guys. I'm going to show you guys who I am." Now. He was going to he was going to smoke him either way. I think. Yeah. So you talked. So we don't want to let your secrets out on how you do like your your psychological operations or anything like that. But like, who 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 is like that still? Who who do you view as like? It's hard to say this, but like, who's your modern day like? kvd attitude you know rick clone attitude even though rick's still fishing do you see some of those younger generations carry on some of that uh the biggest i'd say the biggest goon on the elite series right now is Corey johnston and he's like a self he is a self-proclaimed goon uh that was his role uh when he played hockey he always would say you know chris is the scorer and i was the goon uh, he's like, yeah, you need somebody taken out. That's, I'm the, your guy. He said, if you need just a goal scored, he's like, give it to Chris. He's like, cause I ain't, I'm not that guy. Um, but his mentality is kind of the same, but it's, it's, it's almost like Chris is really more of the assassin because he's, he's actually accomplished a little bit more. I mean, they're both Chris and Corey are both phenomenal an anglers, but a Corey is a little more of the, he, I've seen him get into other anglers heads. I feel like, um, uh, because he's wide open and is like, I'm going to smash him tomorrow. The guys, you better, uh, you know, like in the little pregame stuff, you know, Dave Mercer walking around and talking to guys, he's like, yeah, I'm going to smash him today. It's going <laughs> to, it's going to be really good. Uh, conditions are setting up and, you know, I think, I think I got, you know, potential for a really big bag is there and I'm going to go do it. And, and guys, and I've seen guys kind of like, you know, Whoa. Okay. All right, and and so he he's probably the the one that, that I'd say vocally plays the game the <laughs> the best right now. But man, there's there's just there's a lot of guys that are uh, you know you got your Patrick Walters and you know guys like that that are 
like uh, they're so almost so nice, mm -hmm. but they're gonna they are going to go smash them uh, in the you know in the in the in the last day of the tournament. So uh, it's hard it's hard to say now. Um, there is not you know like Van Dam was dominant for so many years. It was obvious to to you know to look at him versus basically his his arch nemesis there for a number of years who was Aaron. And the two of them kind of battled back and forth for a lot of AOIs and uh, Bassmaster Classics and, and things like that. Um, but then you you know in that in that era you also had guys like Edwin Evers who won a lot of stuff, Angler of the Years, Classic stuff like that. But he was not very vocal. Like he he was not that intimidating factor yeah. uh, that that like uh, a Kevin was. But uh, so everybody's kind of got their different style, so to speak. And then, um, but today there's just not, there's not too many guys that are, that are as vocal as, as say uh, Kevin was uh, on the water, at least, at least from my observations. You could, you could see the Ike wide open intimidation factor <laughs> on like lives yeah. and stuff. Cause they'd be, they'd have a camera on a boat with somebody else and you'd hear that yell from down the lake <gasps> echoing through the lake. And you could see that guy like, Oh, Ike's on him, And almost like it starts to click in their head. Um, so that that's interesting I, that, that I, you brought that. I up. always, um, I, I know I told this before, and I think um, we mentioned on podcast. Like I've always wished, at some point, maybe Championship Sunday, like they would put microphones on the boat so you guys could talk trash to <laughs> back and forth, right? And, and let, the, let those head games happen because I, I think that would be a fun. I mean, it's all personality based. Some guys wouldn't yeah. talk at all, but like they had the entertainment value to watch. Like you catch a five pounder and be like. Hey Johnny Missile, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. yeah. what are you gonna do now? You know, are you yeah. gonna de bomb or are you gonna de bomb? Uh, <laughs> yeah. you know? No, it is cool. No, the, be the best would be when somebody loses one, and you know, he'd be like, "Oh, that's too bad, buddy. That, that probably hurt." And geez, I hope that wasn't more than six pounds because it looked like it was. Yeah, no, that would actually be really good for entertainment purposes and probably motivate a lot of people and then probably destroy a lot of people at the same time. So yeah. uh, um, that so something that's not talked about a lot, but from your perspective, you know, there's a lot of guys going into the, you know, into the professional fishing world, doesn't matter what league you're in. And, um, you know, th there's a lot of people that work together as a team. And then there's people that work as an individual. Um, and from your perspective, do, how hard is it for somebody to, and maybe I'm completely wrong, but you know, you got guys that will roll solo and then you got guys that work together like the Johnsons. It's no secret. They work together. All the guys yeah. with their YouTube series and stuff coming out, they all work together. Um, is that, is that a challenge? Is, is that really hard to compete like an individual versus a team mentality? Uh, it, it really is. I mean, you have to have, uh, you know, like a click or a little network uh, in order to to be able to break down these lakes within, you know, the three or two and a half to three days that we have to, to break them down. Uh, so for 10 plus years, it was myself, Mike Iaconelli and Ish Monroe, and we would break these lakes down, you know, going going forward. And we had a we had a kind of a motto that we would verbalize and talk about in the house. And it was like, you know, all of us together on average are going to be better than we would be separately, individually. Now, there might be one tournament where, you know, one of us figures something out. And if we don't tell anybody, we might be able to do a little bit better. But over the course of the season, if we share information um, enough to just help each other, it would it would raise all of our finishes on average. So instead of maybe finishing 
an average of 40th, we might all finish an average of a 32nd or 30th. And that might be the difference between making the Bassmaster Classic and not or Angler of the Year and not uh, or whatever, whatever that that might be. Or, you know, having three top tens instead of one, you know, because we shared that information and what in the information we always talk about. We would never, never discuss locations. We would, you know, we might talk about mid lake versus up lake or, or down lake, something like that. But we would just be more specific as far as like, I got, you know, I, like maybe I could say, you know, I got about 15 bites um, on a jig in like, you know, 15 to 20 feet of water. Okay, perfect. Thank you. They're like that, dude, That's a huge help. Um, and we wouldn't be like, all right, now what? He's like, okay, was on secondary points and this, that, and the other, and get really intricate. And then you look at a map, you're like, I just found his best three spots. Yeah. You know, I mean, that that's kind of uh, not not what the whole point was. The point was there's a lot of fish in 15 to 20 feet of water that you might want to figure out how to catch them. Mm-hmm. So then I might I might go out there and fish and, and come back and be like, Ike, did you throw a crankbait in 15 to 20? He might say, no. I'm like, dude, I just caught, uh, I caught two over five. And I had a couple other bites in that 15 to 20 foot range on a crankbait might be a little way, way to catch a bigger one. All of a sudden now it's like I, 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 the return help is, uh, and he might you know, add a crankbait on his deck to where he was just going to stick with the jig almost exclusively before I said that. And then we become better mm-hmm. uh, as, as a group. So, you know, when, when I can ish left the elites, I started rooming with uh, Ed Lochran and Derek Hudnall. And then, then we had, uh, Brian Schmidt joined us. So for the last three years, it's been, you know, Schmidt, Hudnall and, and Ed uh, in, in myself and in the house. And we've all, you know, shared information uh, with that same kind of mentality. And dude, it has been it's been hard. Like, I, I, I laugh or I almost joke because I've, I've almost had to like train them how to share information because Ed wants to be like, yeah, I fished that point. I'm like, dude, no, 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 no. Don't tell me what point you fished. I don't care. I don't care. And I'm not telling you what point I fished. If you happen to find that, then you find it. That's fine. But I'm not going to be like, Hey, I said, cause that's when, when it gets weird. If, cause if I say, yeah, I, I caught him on this point. If you show up on that point, I'm immediately pissed off at you. Yeah. Because yeah. I told you where I was fishing. And then all of a sudden now you're on it. Yeah. Like I'm not going to help you next, next tournament, bud. Like not going to happen. Cause you're going to poach me, but maybe you wanted to fish that, or maybe you fished it. Maybe you fished it before. I told you that's the point I was on. It just gets weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you don't talk about locations until ap- until practice is totally over, uh, or, or maybe not even talk about it. Yeah. There's a number of times me and Ish, we would exchange information and he'd be like, "Yeah, I'm kind of on this kind of stuff, and I'm fishing that this over here." Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm I'm fishing kind of the same stuff. We'd show up the first morning of the tournament. We're fishing the same spot. It, it, it or like the same area and we would laugh and we'd be like i knew it i knew it i knew you were fishing the same place. like we were rooming together and would not even know it until the and and then that way we we didn't care yeah You're like all right well i'm gonna hit this right side you went okay well i hit the left side and then we'll meet in the back and then we'll kind of compare notes and just that was the that was just the way we did it and it, and it really worked well for us uh because then he's on the point that i'm on you're like oh man awesome you found this too okay cool like there was no there was no beef. There was no no issue, and it's just taken a few years to try to to kind of explain that to the uh, to this new group to really understand to me the best way to the best way to work together. So 
Do you think that comes at a cost though? Um, and, and I say that because, uh, you know, if a relationship is burned or your competitors find out your vulnerabilities or weaknesses, which you don't want to chum the water, they're all sharks there. Um, but do you, do you see that as a, as having a catastrophic failure at any point in time or, or sometimes do the results show like these other two guys aren't fishing well and neither am I like, I need to maybe make a change or whatever the case may be. Um, I don't want to like paint anybody as like, Oh, you three just finished bad. But like, do you ever see that not be uh, a good thing? There, um, I don't think it wasn't this year. I can't remember what tournament it was. I think it was a tournament last year. N nobody in the house figured out squat and we all, and all of us had a bad tournament it, because we just, we all missed it. We all missed the bite. We all missed what was going on because we all like none of us none of us figured it out and none of us had any like spot that was all good um but that's that's you know that's the exception it, normally one or more of us will figure out something mm -hmm. and then you know it's up to the other ones to kind of like take that information and go with it if that makes any sense it it does um, do you so it, it it's not it's not um as detrimental, but I do see there are a number of guys that work that work together, and then halfway through the season they don't room together anymore. Mm -hmm. Like there's definitely things that go sideways with guys, but my in my opinion, it's because the groundwork was not laid out at the beginning, and that communication uh, was was not reciprocating the properly. So I've, I've seen that a number of times. Um, and I, I mean, I don't want to name any names, but I've seen a couple of times where it's been, I mean, like it's been predictable that, mm -hmm. that something was going to go yeah. south. Do, do you think, um, uh, kind of on the flip side of that, because we see uh, a lot of these groups, clicks working together and we've seen it obviously after the tournament started where, half the field isn't fishing an area, but on day two, like 90% of the field ends up showing up there because that's where it's going down. But have you seen it maybe because everyone's kind of working together and the, the little groups that it kind of shrinks the fishery in a sense? Has that, has that been a it problem? Can. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 It, it definitely can, you know, back in the, um, I'd say probably 10, 10 or 10, 12 years ago, uh, when, when the on the water coverage started to really ramp up the, there would be guys that would go through the photo galleries at night trying to see where guys were fishing <laughs> and and they would and then they would uh -huh. show up there on the second day so if they went through the photo gallery and they're like oh well there, there's a picture of clun fishing next to that buoy marker and then there's um you know, a picture of Bowen fishing next to that buoy marker like oh i see the pattern here i see what's going and they're both in the top 10 they're like i see what's going on now all of a sudden you can't even come close to a buoy marker the next day because people figured it out. Um, now, some of that happens still, but they made a rule that says you can't comb the Bassmaster website with the intent to find out where people are fishing. But with that being said, you know, like you might run up and down the river and be like, damn, I saw Clun and I saw Lowen on two different buoy markers. I might have to fish buoy marker. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then, then all of a sudden you know the kind of word gets out and you know two or three clicks figured out and all of a sudden there's 12 boats that know they're stacked on buoy markers yep. and all you know then then that, that word gets out into a to a click but it doesn't make it to where it's 
you know, broadcast across, uh, across everything. So, um, yeah, it does. It, it that definitely does happen. Uh, I know with the BPT stuff, the way it, the way that format is with half and half fishing, that happens awful. It, it's a bad, they, they, they have a recipe for disaster and it has been a disaster as far as that stuff's concerned. So at least, at least it looks like going into 25, they're cutting the field, but they're cutting the field and they're not going to have those off days anymore to where that awful scenario uh, is, is going to happen basically every tournament. It's not going to happen every tournament anymore because there's no more off days. And it's not splitting the field. That to me, that's the biggest benefit of what, what their, what their change is. It was a benefit to us too. Cause I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that I cashed a check when MLF was down here fishing the heavy hitters <laughs> and they fished Jordan Lake and had an off day on a day. I had a tournament and I might've ran some of Michael Neal's stuff. Sorry, Michael. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah. you know, it's, it's funny, right? We all do that. It, every, like all of us weekend warrior, uh, fishermen like we we comb YouTube or we're going through all the Bassmaster pictures trying to find out. So of course it's going to happen. You know, at the, all, all major all major uh, sports are like that. I mean, everyone's trying to steal everyone stealing playbook. signs. You know, stealing, like yeah. espionage is a huge thing. You know, everybody talks about it um in professional bass fishing like if you could change one thing like the no information rule. Like we need to crack down on it. It's so hard to do that when you have to market, you have to sell brand, uh, sell, you know, your, your sponsors and, and stuff like that. It's really hard to do. The only thing I can think of is you can't room together with anyone and they take your phones away from me the whole time. And they give you a two way radio. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I don't know what else you're going to do, yeah. man. To And you can't have internet access, but there's safety that goes along with all that. So, um, but you know, what, what is something that you, that you, I guess I think Mercer asks this a lot, but like if there was one thing you'd like to see change, what would you like to see changed in, in the professional fishing world? Uh, the one thing I mean, I've been talking with Bassmaster about it is uh, we need to polygraph for more. Uh, they, they, they polygraph and it's, a, it's, it's, they ask a, a handful of questions. I want them to ask more questions. Mm -hmm. uh, I really want it to be a, a disincentive to, play in the gray as as uh the perception of a lot of anglers it's the perception that a lot of anglers play in the gray um but that's not reality the reality is there's only a couple that play in the gray and then the vast majority um would never consider um sacrificing their career for one good event or something like that you know i mean like a, you know a swindle or you know ed or you know, guys I room with, um, Polinick, I mean, you, there's the vast majority would never even consider sacrificing their career to break a rule or to even play in the gray to try to get a little bit of help on like one tournament or a couple tournaments. Like that's just, to me, I would never consider that. We just have to make sure that we have, um, we have that extensive, uh, questioning, during every polygraph because they have, they polygraph almost every tournament and they they ask for the no info and they ask a few different other rules um, but i think they should ask like a dozen questions on the no info rule and i think they should uh, be definitely more extensive uh than they are about it and once that i mean because the anglers know basically what questions they're going to ask so if they're not going to ask the question then that might be something that they could play in the gray on yeah. uh, so i just want to make sure we ask about all the gray areas 
and make sure that that, that but that's my that's my two cents on 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 that as far as the overall bassmaster elite series goes man we have um i think we got a good good model going i think we have a lot of momentum i think we got an, a good rookie class coming in uh, i just want to make sure that we're not booting out too many too many guys and calling too many guys every year i mean we only got 100 guys and we're basically kicking out uh 10 a little more than 10 percent of that each year and i think that's i think that's a little i think it should be less than 10 percent. i think that uh, they need to figure figure out how to squeeze that down and uh, make sure that we have you know the double qualifiers all reverting back to the elites um but that's that's about it i mean i think it's just some little fine tweaking i don't think there's any major overhauls that we need to do uh, and everybody wants bigger payouts of course but sure. um you know you can wish in one hand and crap in the other one and see which one fills yeah. up first. You can wish in one hand and poop bait in the other, see which one fills <laughs> That's up right. first. <laughs> so yeah, I, you have to bomb a hand. Yeah, bomb. That's right. <laughs> I, I got two final questions. I'll turn it over to the guys because I run my mouth too much. Um, what is that feeling like or, or, or how do those conversations go? Maybe a two-part question. When some of your good buddies do get, uh, they don't requalify for the elites. How does that go down? Like, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've had good friends that – over the years it's happened to and uh how, how does those emotions roll and, and those conversations go uh it's it sucks man um it, it, you know i've been doing it a long time early early in my career when it was the bassmaster tour even before the elite series i think there was one year that we had like 17 guys not come back now now granted the it was like 150 to, or 170 somewhere in that range on the tour at that point we had like 17 guys go away. Uh, that I mean, we had a pretty big turnover rate uh, back then, and I thought it was you know it was too much. But th that's where uh, you know a lot of guys they were running out of money or whatever was going on. But you know, like one one guy you know in particular, uh, you know, there's there a number of friends I'll say that are not coming back for for next year on the elites, which which really suck. But um, you know, like one where it's really kind of heartbreaking was. Um, was Daryl Gleason and Daryl has, uh, I mean, like his home, his home lake is Toledo bend. And that's where we're starting next season. It's like, Oh my gosh, just put a knife in there and turn it on him. Uh, guy. And that's just, that just, that sucks. Um, Daryl was a, you know, a lot of guys like Daryl is good dude. And yeah, like he put a long emotional, um, uh, post you know after the last elite because he knew from the points he was not going to make it he was not going to requalify and he put a big long post out there and it was just it was interesting if you if you go back and look at it a bunch of guy a bunch of the elite guys man commented like hey miss you buddy um you work hard and you'll you'll be you'll be back i'm sure that kind of stuff i mean i commented on there uh just because it's it's tough to kind of get get knocked back down to the minors and have to work your way back up yeah I, uh, I, I think that, uh, you, you see the cohesion and camaraderie when guys make those posts and stuff like that. And, you know, um, it really is a fraternity. And so when you welcome guys to fraternity, like it, it definitely appears that way from an outsider's perspective. Uh, I have one off the wall question and I'll turn it over to these guys. So, uh, a good buddy of ours, his name is, uh, Kieran Stevenson, his dad, Daryl, they fish the, uh, the Bassmaster high school series. They actually just won yesterday um for the for the the teams on the east and, and he had a question for you and it's totally yep. random but um and we're going to do this in the future we're going to ask you know our, our fans to ask questions 
how do you keep your hands warm when it's cold and raining and you got to fish? Like, what is the best gloves or what's the best technique you have? Uh, that's, that's a tough one, man. Cause I, I've battled with that over the years. I, this is no lie. I've probably bought over a hundred different types of pairs of gloves, uh, over the years to try to find something that, that works perfectly. Um, but I've got uh, a condition called Raynaud syndrome. Mm -hmm. And if you're not familiar with Raynaud's, it's, it's a condition to where the capillaries, uh, at your extremities will overreact when you get cold. So me, especially my fingers, they'll like, they'll turn blue because the capillaries will, will, uh, shut down faster just to try to keep the, keep the blood in your torso because it thinks that you're in a, uh, you know, in a crazy situation. And it, it's so in like my toes will get these sore spots and my fingers will get these sore spots. So believe me, I have tried very hard over the years to figure out the best method for that. And to me, there is no good method for that. Um, <laughs> If you try to wear gloves when it's raining, you're going to do nothing but uh, get frustrated. And and I feel like there are some times when wearing gloves in rain that are not 100% waterproof will actually um, make your hands colder than if you don't wear gloves. So uh, it, unless they're a straight wool glove, I know Stryker just came out with a fingerless wool glove. That is That is one option. But even once those ones get drenched, I still think any type of wool glove that's soaking wet will get will keep your hands a little colder than it could be if you're if you just don't wear any gloves. Um, but the the biggest thing, and I've learned this from looking at research with Raynaud's, is uh, you want to slowly expose your hands to cold over a period of days and weeks. You know, slowly expose it to a little, little more, a little more, a little more, a little more cold. And you can actually acclimate your hands to cold temperatures. If you work in an office environment for three weeks and then all of a sudden you go out there and fish in 45 degrees in rain, it's a shock to your hands. And, and that shock, it hurts. And to me, it really hurts like my, my fingers to have that exposure to the cold just in, in a quick fashion. So you need to kind of build up your, uh, almost like your tolerance to the cold through your hands, you know, like, you know, whether it's five minutes of cold with no gloves and then 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, if you can build up your, your tolerance to the cold, all of a sudden after, after a few weeks of kind of getting your hands acclimated to it, you go out there 45 degrees in rain, you can actually do it. And it's not an excruciatingly painful situation. So that, that's my, my advice is to, figure out a way to expose yourself to that cold, um, in a, in, in a way to prepare yourself for when you are going to go out there. So are you, are you ice tubbing it now? Ice tubbing it weeks before every single, uh, cold event? No, <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> no, ice that's, tub that's, like that's Swindle, you keep it around with you. Yeah, Swindle's the one who does it, right? I mean, that maybe I think there's a couple other guys doing it, but he's yeah. always, yeah, I mean, you could, out. there, there are, there are some, some of the studies, of the exposure of people with Raynaud's with their in their hands of dipping it in ice water like that's too cold you don't need to go that cold you just need to expose your hands to like 40 degrees of you don't need to expose your hands to you know below freezing you just need to expose it to like 40 degrees for some period of time uh and then you know and then the next day 40 degrees for a little longer 40 degrees for a little longer whatever that uh whatever that looks like and however you can do it 
uh, to me, it's just going outside and doing stuff with no gloves on. That's that's really where where I try to get the exposure to it. A new cold water bait, man. Just call it Raynod. I like that. Like Ray, that'd be a, yeah. that'd be a, that'd be a good color. So I'll turn it over to these guys. I appreciate it, John. You got anything? Okay, so two two questions, and I know I've had people ask before, and I'll let you tell it. Where? How did you come up with the name Missile for for Missile Baits? Uh, so my good buddy, my good buddy Rick Hawkins, uh, I've been friends with him since I was uh, fifteen. Well, so when I when I got into college, or so, so I think it was I might have still been in high school. He just nicknamed me the uh, the cruise missile uh, because that was back when we were in the in the middle of the Iraq War. And all you, if you turned on the news, all you would hear about is you know Tomahawk cruise missiles fired, Tomahawk cruise missiles fired. And, and so just that, that cruise missile thing was, was etched in everybody's brain. And he just started calling me the cruise missile and it, it stuck. So when I, when, um, you know, I was in college, basically the internet was being invented and everybody started using it. So that meant everybody was getting an email address. Uh, so I logged on to, uh, an email service and I typed in, uh, John Cruz and, Daggone if it wasn't taken. I'm like, who the hell? <laughs> and, and I didn't want to have like John Cruz 427,802 at the end of it. I wanted it to be like, you know, completely unique to me. And so then I typed in cruise missile. It was available. So boom, there's my email, cruise missile. I still use that same email today for a lot of my personal stuff. And it's still, uh, it, it just kind of stuck. And so a lot of people uh, that, they correspond with me. They, they see that cruise missile thing and it all kind of, all kind of gets, um, it goes, goes full, full circle, so to speak. But then with the cruise, with the missile baits, I wanted something that I wanted to have a name that was catchy and a name that was kind of unique to me, but it didn't have my name in it. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we did missile. Makes sense. There you go, folks. The last, the last one for me, and you don't have to give any specifics, but Missile has released some great baits in the last year. Really great. I'm never much of a worm, like straight tail worm fisherman, but I always now have a magic worm tied on. Like that bait just straight catches fish however I fish it. Uh, finally got oh, yeah. some Bombas. I, I got with uh, a buyer and got me an order, got a few in. I haven't had really had a chance to fish them, but I'm looking forward to that. You don't have to tell us what, but you got anything coming this year for Missile? Any new baits? We got a bunch of stuff coming. Awesome. Uh, we have uh, four new four new products that I'm currently working on um, to release uh, within the next year. Uh, one of them will probably be announced in the next month or so, month and a half. Uh, the other one will be a classic release, and then uh, or maybe even two of them as a classic release, and then uh, we'll have another one for next summer to be uh, to be released there. So yeah, we're we're absolutely full throttle on, on new products. And I want to continue to churn that, uh, churn that bucket to, to keep things going. I, I mean, I was, I was texting last night at 10 o'clock with, uh, our, our one mold maker that was uh, sending me pictures of where the, uh, where our sample is at the current, current time. So, um, so yeah, a lot, a lot of, a lot of good stuff coming on. I mean, like all and all over the map, uh, as far as our products go. Uh, so, so I'm excited about, about all of them. I think there's potential in all of them to be really cool and different and unique. And, and uh, a couple of them I think are going to be total home runs. Awesome. You guys got anything? 
No, we just hope you're the only cruise missiles we're firing in the future. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, I appreciate you taking no the time, kidding. John. Yeah, before we wrap up, John, just uh, a minute to plug your socials and uh, all your sponsors that make everything possible for you. Yeah, I mean, I just do I do the big the big four on the social media side, you know, the Facebook, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. That's that's all I do. I don't mess with anything else, uh, really. Um, so that's that's kind of where where I go and uh, put my efforts. I can't you can't be everywhere at every time to any, everybody. Uh, but that's where I try to keep up with. If you follow me on on any of those uh, other social medias, you'll get a you'll get a little dose of of everybody that I that I work hard to to represent. I mean, I, obviously I own the missile, but then my boys are there, down there at Cashin. Uh, try to take care of all them all them peeps down there, uh, ladies and gentlemen the, of Cashin are are amazing people and been working with them for a long time. Really, enjoy, and I, I just enjoy a lot of the partnerships that I have throughout the industry. To whether it's you know, Bascad or, or Cashin or uh, Sunline, or th- those different different companies that I that I work with. Uh, I don't I don't look at it as a as sales situation. Uh, I look at it as a as like a business partnership because they have products they have products that are really good. Uh, if it's not a good product, I'm not going to talk about it. Uh, I'm just I, and I've told people you know like, oh. Well, uh, could you just could you make a post about this? I'm like, bro, I don't use that. Like, why? It's because I use this other product. I think it's better. And I just I don't use it, so I'm not gonna. Po- you know, I tell people I'm not gonna post about it. Yeah. Um. So they, you know, I think all the companies that I work with, they've become to know that, and uh, and I, I feel like that the 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 people that I interact with on social media, they know that I'm gonna try to educate them, and then I'm gonna tell them what I use if they want to use it that's fine if they don't want to use it and they want to use something else like if okay maybe they want to use cigar instead of sunline that's fine but i'll show you how to tie the knot either way mm-hmm. and i'll show you how to you know why i tie a 20 foot leader versus a 10 foot leader on my spinning rods i'll explain that to you and if you want to use your line and not mine that's fine but if you want to use what i use if i thought something was better i would use it but if if you want to use what you want to use that's that's cool so uh, that's kind of the way i look at it yeah, you do you do a great job of that of of selling your partnerships, letting people know who you use, but also that it's not the end all be all. Sometimes some folks are yeah. super pushy with like you have to use this because it's the greatest thing ever made, and and we know that's when you start seeing everybody argue in the comments. Oh, I, so. dude, I tune that out myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially not tying videos. If you yeah. really want to get people working oh, up on the internet, don't give me not tying video. <laughs> Lo- loyalty yeah. goes a long way. But well, John, we do appreciate you, everybody. I'll have John's socials linked down below. Um, you'll be, you'll be at most of the shows if they don't, uh, interact or don't, uh, conflict with your elite schedule. Sure. You'll be at the classic and that, are you coming down to Sanford for the cash and, uh, community? Oh yes. Or the, yeah, I'll, I'll be down to the customer appreciation day, day okay. December 2nd. I will be there. So, yeah. So if you guys want to meet John, talk to John, there's opportunities at the classic and some of the other shows. Uh, if you're local, uh, and a fan of cash and a customer, you can swing by that uh, customer appreciation day on December 2nd. They'll have some good food. Uh, it was a lot of fun last year, so we'll definitely be there hanging out. Uh, and other than that, yeah. you guys got anything else for John while we have him? Good to no. go. Thank no. you for taking time out of your Appreciate Sunday, it. John. Yeah, thanks, John. If you can just sure. hang out for one second, I'm going to close this out here, and then uh, we'll we'll say goodbye off air. So everybody appreciates you listening. Make sure you like, follow, comment, subscribe, all that stuff that we have to say every week. Make sure you follow John on his socials. Check out Missile Baits. I promise you you're going to love them. 
uh, and help us continue to grow a culture of anglers helping anglers one cast at a time. That's a good one. That's a good one. Oh, God, it's a toad, It's a toad, dude. Let's go. I wake up to a little bit of drool on my pillow, feel like it's going to be a bad day.